Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be at least just briefly. I'm going I'm to go through several different passages of Scripture this morning, but that'll be a good place for you to park at least temporarily, all right? This is the last week in our series that we've entitled Masquerade, and it's been really great to talk with many of you who have made a decision to drop a mask in some area of your life and start living who you are because of Jesus. And that, that really is an important phrase to remember, by the way, that we live the way we live if we are in Christ because we are in Christ and because the filling of the Holy Spirit of God gives us the ability to be able to live that way. The truth of the matter for us is that our masquerade ball really started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and we've been perfecting that dance ever since that particular day. A book that I referenced on our first Sunday by the name of True Face, the author says this, that day all humanity learned how to look over our shoulders, how to glance and, and how to say one thing and mean another, how to hide their fear, their deceit and shame behind a thin smile. That day we learned how to give the appearance we are something other than who we actually are. And we've developed it, this author says, into an art form. Thanks, Adam and Eve. Nice legacy. But gradually we lose all hope that we can be changed or fixed, and so we cover up. We put on a mask and we begin bluffing. And that's unfortunately where many of us, if we're, if we're really honest this morning, that's, that's where we are. And our challenge to you throughout this series has been to drop those masks and recognize that in Christ we not only have the freedom, but we have the ability through the working of his Holy Spirit in our lives to be the people that God created us to be. Galatians 5.1, in just a few weeks from now, we're going to start an expositional series through the book of Galatians, and so I'm giving you little tidbits along the way. In Galatians 5.1, Paul wrote this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I would say to you that every time we put that mask on and we try to be something or come off as something that we, we really are not, we once again take on that yoke of slavery. And the freedom that comes from being who we were meant to be in Christ through the Spirit of God moving and working through our lives is a really great thing when those masks begin to come down. Now, like some of you here today, and not all of you, but some of you, I am a child of the late 70s and 80s. Who's here that you're, you're with me? Kind of you, you were a teenager during that time, the late 70s, early 80s. I, I was thinking this week, I quickly, in the late 70s, I left my tough skins. Anybody remember tough skins at Sears? Yeah, you're laughing because you remember them, right? My mom got those because they had the reinforced knees. And I really felt that every time I, I, I sat down. You could feel the reinforcement in the knees. It's like I have steel on my knees. They won't bend, right? But they were tough skins, right? That meant that we could go out and we could, we could do all kinds of havoc in the neighborhood. And I still had knees in my jeans. But very quickly, I left the tough skins from Sears Roebuck behind in grade school. And by the time I entered into high school, I sported the gator on my chest. Anybody else do that? Thanks, Brian, for, for admitting that. It must be the, in the name or something like that. I sported the gator on my chest. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, from time to time, I actually sported the gator on my socks. Anybody else do that? All right, like I was all in. Not only did I have the gator on my chest and sometimes on my ankle, on my socks, I had the Levi's 501 tag, right? 
Now, I'm really not ever sure that was a good thing, especially for a Husky guy that wore the Husky tough skins from Sears Roebuck, because like your waist size and your length is right there. I mean, whoever thought of that idea was never my size, all right? You don't really want people to know that. I just want the Levi's 501. That was cool. That was good. But do not put my waist size in length, all right? I had that, and then I had either the leather Converse or the Nike swoosh or occasionally the Speary Topsiders, which are now back, I might add. My son's starting to wear them. Those were on my feet. Now, here's the real tragedy behind all of that, right? You can say, hey, what's wrong with that? We knew a lot of kids like that. The tragedy was this. My family did not have the money for the latest name brands. But here's the issue. My sweet grandmother, who's with Jesus now, she could not imagine her only grandson not wearing the latest fashions. And so you remember I told you earlier how we would fly down there each summer and we would spend the summer. She would take me to the mall and she would take me to the Levi's store and I came home all decked out. I had the gator on my chest, the 501 tag on my backside. I had the right shoes on and I looked the part. I looked as if I actually came from a family that had money for the latest fashions and actually I should have been wearing fashions from the discount stores. So it started really early for me and maybe it did for you as well. I learned to be what I now refer to as a financial faker. To pretend like I had something that I really didn't have, that I was someone that I really wasn't. And that's a problem when we behave this way when we're children and when we're middle school and high school students and college students. It's a problem when we behave that way at that point. But here's what's really tragic is when we become adults and we continue to wear the mask. We, We never take it off and we continue that destructive behavior. Many of us here today, if we are honest, we would have to admit that we're wearing the mask of a financial fake. Now, before you jump to the conclusion that you know everything I'm going to say today and you've already discovered for yourself that you're not a financial fake and so you've kind of tuned something on or you've got your Bible on your iPod or your iPhone and and you're now, you've gone to another app, okay? Before you do that, all right, see, I got you. I am on to you like a well-worn glove. I know what's going on, all right? Before you decide that, Let me tell you how you might fit into this description. Because you can have plenty of money, I really believe, as I've thought about talking about this particular subject today, you can have plenty of money and you can be a faker. I believe there are three kinds of fakers. Number one, it's the person that says, I have it, but I don't want you to know that I do. Now, this is just the opposite of who I was in high school, right? I didn't have it. My parents didn't have it. I just wanted you to think that I do. This financial faker really has it, but they don't want anybody to know that they do. They have a lot, but they're careful not to let anyone know or see it because they simply want to hoard it and spend it on themselves and their own interest. It really is a financial faker, is it not? I've got it, but I don't want anybody to know that I have it because if they knew that I have it, I might somehow be accountable for it, and I really just want to hoard it and spend it on myself. That's a faker. Number two, I have it, and I want you to know that I have it. You've met those people. Maybe you're one of them that's here this morning. These financial fakers have it, and they flaunt it every chance they get. And they have been with us, at least we know, since the days that Jesus walked on the planet. They love it when others know that they give generously. In fact, they typically choose to give to things where it will be very obvious where it came from, while at the same time making sure that everybody knows that they want to be anonymous. 
But when you make sure that everybody knows that you're anonymous, you ain't anonymous anymore, all right? That's a financial faker. Here's the problem. For many of them, they give money and stuff and they use that as a substitute for passionately loving God and other people. In fact, Jesus addressed them in Luke chapter 11 and verse 42. He said, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue in every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, you should have been generous. You should have been giving all of these things. But at the same time, you ought to have been loving people. You ought to have been changing diapers in the nursery. It's there. You just got to look at a different translation. You should have been doing all these other things too, not just simply giving money. And here's the third group. And this is, if we're really honest, again, if we're pulling the mask down and we're saying, hey, God, today I'm going to be honest about where I really am. I'm going to take the mask off. The third group is, I don't have it, but I want you to think that I do. I don't have it, but I want you to think that I do. I know a lot of people today who I would characterize as financial fakers. They're pretending to be able to afford a lifestyle that their income can never sustain. They're pretending to have a lifestyle that their income cannot sustain. Let me say that again. They are pretending to have a lifestyle to be able to afford a lifestyle that their income can never sustain. They're financial fakers. They're wearing a mask that looks a little bit like this. Uh, uh, look at me. I'm important. I have enough money to buy all these things. Look at the neighborhood that I live in. Look at the house that I, I live in. Look at the car that I drive. Look at the vacations that I go in. Look at the clothes that my kids wear and look what I wear and look where we go out to dinner. And yet reality speaks to this. I'm in debt. I'm overwhelmed. I'm struggling. And even though I look successful on the outside, I'm a fake. I have the house. I have the car. I have the vacations. I have the furniture, the phones, the gadgets, but they're not really mine. Most of them really belong to somebody else called Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express. I'm just simply using them so that I can, so that I can keep this mask in front of me. I'm a fake. The book of Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, and yet he has great wealth. Very easy for us to become a financial faker. Now, I want you to know that it would be easy right now for me to just recommend that you simply take our Crown Ministries financial class, that you maybe go to a Dave Ramsey seminar and, you know, get the debt ball kind of rolling down and, you know, get all that stuff taken care of. And, you know, you just, you just do these things. And if you behave this way, then you'll be able to get out of debt and you'll be able to get yourself all together. All you need is a financial class. You need to establish a budget. And all of those things are true, by the way, and as we work through this morning in the next few minutes, you're going to see that I obviously agree with those things. But here's what I've learned. Behavior follows belief, doesn't it? You think about that with your kids, parents. Behavior follows belief. I can get you to behave a certain way for a certain length of time just by making you feel guilty. But if your belief system changes, in this case, if your belief system becomes properly aligned with the word of God, then proper behavior will follow proper belief. If we don't believe the right things, then our actions are nothing more than a temporary fix. We'll soon go back to our prior destructive behavior. But when we change what we believe, what we believe to be true, and then we establish new behavior, that behavior will become habit. Now, I want to look just real briefly for a few moments at what's biblically correct with regards to how I view money and stuff. And so if you have your Bible, 
there at Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be in a very familiar passage to many of you. Do you know there are over 2,350 references in Scripture to money and possessions? In fact, 15% of everything that Jesus said and is recorded in Scripture related to money or possessions. That's why I always have thought it's funny over my years in ministry when people in a church get mad because a pastor talks about money. It's as if really what they're saying is, hey, you shouldn't talk about what Jesus talked about 15% of the time. Do you know that he talked about money and possessions more than he talked about heaven and hell combined? Why did he do that? The reason is because there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle money and possessions. See, the leading religionists of Jesus' day were preoccupied with things. (laughs) It really hasn't changed much over the last 2,000 years, has it? Because they had an incorrect view of righteousness, it was inevitable that they would have an incorrect view of material things. And Jesus is going to show them in this particular text what their view of stuff ought to be, a kingdom view. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. The text says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is not condemning all wealth. Important for you to understand that. The Bible encourages us to be wise managers and to take care of the needs of our families. But what Jesus is prohibiting here is the selfish accumulation of possessions. Literally, don't stack up for a show. Don't hoard things. In fact, it's such a problem that some people become hoarders that TLC's created a whole series about it, right? How many of you have watched it? Okay, the rest of you are lying. Many of you have watched it, all right? It's kind of like a, a bad wreck when you're on the highway and you're going by and you're going, oh, I shouldn't look at that, but you're just you know, fascinated by it. That's what happens when you flip to TLC and you see the hoarders. Every once in a while, though, you look and go, I want that. I'd like to have that. I'm sure they're not using that. It's become a problem. And God says, don't stack up for a show. Don't hoard. What a problem. Here, here, in essence, is what the text is saying. Your garments could be eaten by moths. Your grain could be eaten by rats. And your gold can be stolen by thieves. The point is that if you hoard it, you ultimately will lose it. Have you found out, in fact, if, you, if you've been living on the planet for any part of the last five or six years, you should have realized this, that there is no place of security in this life. We've got a number of people in our church that work in the financial industry as brokers, as financial advisors. I know they would agree with me. There is no such thing as a place of total security in this life. No bank, no broker, nothing. And even if you were able to keep it until you died, when you die, you're going to leave it all behind, right? You're going to leave it all behind. What Jesus is saying is there are millionaires who are going to be poor in eternity, and there's going to be a lot of poor people who are going to be millionaires forever in heaven. We are making that choice right now. And so the solution to the problem of loving our stuff is to have the attitude that Jesus challenges us to have in in verse 20, that we're not called to relinquish all of our things, but to use them in a way that honors the owner. And who's the owner? God, right? Say it together. Who's the owner? God. It's not you. It's not me. You're like me. I have a tendency that I think I went to work. I earned it. It's mine. Who gave you that ability? Who created you? Who made you? Who sustains your life? Every single breath that you take. We should use them for the well-being of our family, the material well-being of others, and for the work of proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Scripture uses the word heart to refer to the whole inner man, the wellspring of all we do. 
This basically means that Jesus is telling us that where our treasure is, there's going to be our total being. He's saying that the location of our treasure is where our heart already is. I've said it this way before. If I could see your credit card statements and I can see your, your checking account statement, I can tell you where your heart is. You could argue with me and you could say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not really where my heart is. Jesus said, where you place your treasure, where you swipe your MasterCard, again, he said this in a different translation, where you swipe your American Express, where you use your ATM card, that's where your heart is. That's what you really, really care about. That's where your love is. That's where your mind is focused. And so if the pursuit of material things occupies you, if that's what drives you, if that's where the affection of your heart and the center of your attention is, that's what you love, that's what you care about. Everything else becomes peripheral because your life is built around your treasure. John Calvin said it this way, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost its authority. And I would submit to you that in a place like we live in in Cary, North Carolina, bigger in the United States of America, there are plenty of Christians, people that are sitting in good, evangelical, Bible-believing churches this morning, and God has lost his rightful place because riches have become the dominion of those hearts. The problem is, as I said earlier, that for most of us, that what we believe are lies. We believe lies about money and stuff. And when we believe things that aren't true, how do we behave? We behave in a way that is destructive and is totally contrary to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6. And that's why Paul wrote to the Romans. You can turn over there to Romans chapter 1. I'm looking forward one day for us to be able to do a study in the book of Romans. I think it'll be helpful for us, but without much context this morning in Romans chapter 1, look down at verse 18. I'm going to read these verses rather quickly. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousnesses suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. Summary, they have the truth. The truth is out there. The truth is not being hidden. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's going to get a little more descriptive later on in the text, but just for this morning, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, verse 25, because they did what? They exchanged the truth about God for a what? For a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. There is the problem. That's it in a nutshell. We worship and serve what is created, money and stuff in this case, rather than worshiping and being properly aligned with the creator of the universe. Now here's three lies that we believe to be true about money and stuff. You, you see if you are guilty of these. Number one, we believe that money and stuff will bring us happiness. It'll bring us happiness. Have you ever noticed that for most of us, and again, I'm dropping my mask and I'm telling you the reason why I wrote these things down <laughs> is because I know them to be true personally, all right? 
This may be one of those sermons where you look back at me and go, what the heck? I mean, what's he up there teaching it for if those are, I'm just dropping the mask, right? Because I'm one of you. I got dressed just like you did this morning, looked in a similar mirror, did all the work that needed to be done to make myself presentable. You did too, all right? You didn't look like this when you got up this morning. I know that, all right? Just being truthful with you. Have you ever noticed that no matter how much you accumulate stuff, that that stuff really never totally brings happiness into your life? You're never, ever really satisfied? Let's use the cell phone as an illustration of this point. You know, kids, there was once a day when we didn't have cell phones. In fact, back when I was a kid, my, my kids always hate it when I preface anything by, back when I was a kid or back when I was your age, but, but, but humor me for just a moment. We didn't have a cell phone. If we had to make a call, we, we went to what's called a payphone, and they had these really strange little booths. And we actually had scavenger hunts in when I was a youth pastor for a while. You know, we cram as many people as you can into a payphone. That's what you do when you're in a very conservative Baptist church. You just take the kids out and say, let's see how many kids we can get in a phone booth. That's what we did. Can't play that game anymore, though. So if you wanted to do that, that's not possible. That's why we made a call, though, right? And I remember when I got my first cell phone. Can you remember your first cell phone? My first cell phone came in a bag. Anybody else? It was a bag. And I got it from my pastor who was in New Jersey because he got a new cell phone. We got a different bag. And so I got this bag from him and kind of assumed his plan, but it was a bag. And it had probably like some of your Bible covers this morning. If you got one of those big study Bibles, he put it in that bag. That thing was, you'd unzip it and then plug it into the cigarette lighter because it didn't have a battery as far. You had to plug it into the cigarette lighter. That dude would fire up. It was like a rocket getting ready to take off. And I remember, I still remember, you'll laugh at this, but I still remember the first time I made a phone call on my cell phone in a bag. And I was coming home from church on a Wednesday night and I plugged it in. Do you remember this, Diana? I plugged it in. You got to remember these things. These are important things to me. It's very, very tragic to me when I remember something that's impacted my life and I look at her and she goes, I don't remember actually. And I called and she said, where are you? And I said, I'm in the car. Like I'm calling out of the cell phone in a bag. This is awesome. And she goes, well, do you need something? No, I just want to call you from my cell phone in a bag. This is awesome. And I loved the cell phone in a bag until I realized there were other things. There were these flip phones that you could have. And that was cool. You know, it was like what they had in Star Trek. My dad loved Star Trek. And so I grew up watching Star Trek. And I'm like, that's what they were talking about. That's it. And the thing would flip open. And, and I thought that was really cool. And, and then one day I got a Blackberry. And then I thought, now I've now arrived. I'm like at the place where where the really up and ups in the cell phone type pursuit, that's where they really are. I got the BlackBerry, and then the BlackBerry wasn't good enough. And, and so then I got the Evo, right? Like the Evo, man, I'm looking at the screen. It's like huge, going, this is awesome. I'd never want another phone. And then I'm starting to look at the iPhones, and I go, no, I want one of those. And then I got the iPhone 4S, and I thought, man, this is awesome. They could never create a better phone than this. And guess what? Right now I'm on the waiting list for the 5S because it's never good enough, is it? Some of you know it to be true because you live the same way. When we buy into this idea that things and money are going to provide happiness, here's what happens. I wrote this down. Couples get married and they go on a honeymoon they cannot afford and come home and live in houses they cannot afford in which they will only be happy if they buy furniture that they cannot afford. But that's okay because 20 years is the same as cash. And then in order to be happy... 
driving to a job that they don't particularly like, they buy a car that they cannot afford because that will make them happy, but that does not satisfy, so they decide that they'll go on a vacation that they cannot afford so that they can relax and be happy, only they come back from the vacation and they realize they don't have money to pay for all the things they have purchased to make themselves happy, and so now they're sad. Does that describe the American dream which I would submit to you for most of us has become the American nightmare. Proverbs 15, 16 says it this way, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble with it. My translation of that verse is this, it's better to have an old beat up car and love Jesus than to have a Mercedes Benz you cannot afford and be a slave to the debt. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 17 says this, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. You look at that and go, I don't even really want a fattened ox. Well, let me, let me modernize the translation for you again. It's better to have a meal of beans and weenies than to have a lobster tail and baked potato that you can't afford and you're going to argue about how to pay for the credit card bill later. Again, different translation, but it's there. It's the same, it's the same thing. Do you get it? This is the lie that we buy into, that if we have stuff, if we accumulate enough stuff, that we'll be happy. And here's where many of you are living as financial fakers today. You've accumulated all this stuff and the debt that goes along with it, and you've never been more miserable than you are right now. You'd love to go back to college when at least you didn't have anything, but you didn't have debt hanging over your shoulders. You'd love to go back and just pull up and open up that can of the beans and weenies and go, hey, at least I own the can of beans and weenies. Instead, you bought in the idea that the only way to be happy is to show up down at the Angus barn. That's the only way to be happy. I would submit to you, especially you young couples, the best way for you to be happy might be for you to go get a value meal at McDonald's on your anniversary because that's what you can afford right now rather than putting something on a credit card that you cannot afford and becoming a financial faker. It will never, ever, ever buy you happiness. Number two, and i got to move quickly, we also buy into the idea that it will provide security. We believe money will make us secure, and so we trust in it rather than trusting in Christ. So many of you that have money, here's where you really are right now. You really believe that that money will buy you security. And what you should have found out, what I found out, I'll just submit to you, what I found out over this financial crisis and having money in the stock market was there is no security in that. There is security in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, in that one who holds my life in his hand and he holds all of eternity in his, his hands. We believe the lie that if we accumulate enough wealth in a bank account or a stock account, if we pay off our house and we have no house payment, if we save lots of money for retirement, then somehow we'll feel secure. Until something catastrophic happens and all of a sudden your security is gone because it will never, ever, ever provide the security that we need. Security is only found in Christ and Christ alone. Ask anyone how much money they need to be secure. I've listened to it on CNBC. I've listened to them interview billionaires, and I've listened just recently as an interviewer on CNBC said to a billionaire, how much more do you need to feel like you have enough? And he said, just a little bit more. That's where many of us live, isn't it? Just a little bit more. Number three, we buy into the lie not only of happiness and security, but we also think it will provide significance. We buy into the lie that money and stuff will make us significant in the eyes of other people. That we'll have a sense of worth and value if we possess all the things that the world sees as important and desirable. Here's what I recognize that many people spend a lifetime trying to impress people that they will never know or people that do not even notice them or in some cases to impress people they don't even like. What a tragedy. 
And we trust in money and stuff to make us significant because we fully do not understand who we are in Christ. You're going to see as we go through our study of the book of Galatians, you're going to see how significant it is when you have a relationship with Jesus and nothing else matters. He alone matters. We believe the lies that more money will make us happy because we don't know what we have in Christ. We believe that more money will make us secure because we trust in our stock and not in Christ. And we believe that more money will make us significant because we don't know who we are in Christ. And we have done exactly what they did in Romans 1, just a little bit of a different area, and we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. I love this text. It's a text that's familiar to many of you. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. This is a guy, by the way, if you look at his pedigree, he did have it all. I mean, he had not only the gator on the chest, the 501. I mean, he, he, th- this dude had everything. He had all the right education, all the right pedigree. And he said, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? As rubbish, as trash. One translation says as a dung heap in order that I might gain Christ. That, my friends, that's where we find happiness, security, and significance. In Christ and in Christ alone. Now, real quickly, we only got a couple of minutes. What does it take to remove the mask and be the real me in the area of money and possessions? I'm glad you asked because I've got a few suggestions. Maybe your response this morning is this, all right? This is going to be where some of you are in this service and the next service. I get that. I recognize that. You're saying, look, I'm not faking. I'm having a rough time right now. I'm disciplined in my spending. There is simply too much month left at the end of my paycheck. Now, remember, I I said, I'm disciplined in my spending. All right? If there's more month than there is paycheck, and you got a $200 cable bill, you do not understand discipline. If there's more month than there is at the end of your paycheck, and you're driving around a new car, you are not disciplined. You do not get it. All right? And you're really going to fall in the third category that I'm going to talk about here in just a moment. But if that's you, and if you're disciplined, and you're just simply not making it, I want you to know, we believe here at Northwest that according to the book of Acts, chapter 2, where we have the clearest description, I believe, of what a biblical New Testament church ought to look like, they shared everything. They took care of those needs for people that had legitimate needs. And I will tell you this this morning, that if you find yourself in that position, you seek me out, you seek one of our elders, one of our staff members, and we will do something to help you. I give you my word on it. All right? That's you. Now, some of you are disciplined with your finances and resources. Others have been blessed with plenty, and no one but you and God know that you're hoarding it rather than investing it in things that count. Nobody knows. You dress pretty normally and nobody would know that you're a multimillionaire. That God has entrusted resources to you and you don't really want anybody to know because you don't want people asking you for a donation for anything and you know if it gets out and that type of thing. Maybe you won the lottery, I don't know. If you did, see me, all right? Because there is penance for that and I can show you how that can operate. Just, just kidding, disclaimer, just kidding, all right? Maybe your response this morning should be something like this. Or maybe it is as you're sitting there listening because you know you're in that position. Finally, someone calls out these people who are financial fakers. I would say to you, watch out. You have the mask that you're wearing as well. 
and you should be gentle and humble in your response to others in this area. Maybe the point of application for you this morning is to commit yourself and all that you have to the cause of the gospel. And you should say, I'm not going to be a faker. God has blessed me. I'm not going to flaunt it. But God has blessed me. I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm not going to walk around acting like I'm a pauper, like I don't have anything. I have hoarded. I have torn down my barns. We're going to read the text in a moment. And I have built bigger barns, but nobody knows where they're located. Maybe the point of decision for you this morning would be to use what you have for what matters to God because he owns it. You simply manage it. I've said this before, and it's been written in several books. God does not bless us with great resources in order that we might simply amuse and lavishly spend on ourselves. He blesses us with more in order that we might be a blessing to others and further the message of the gospel. I'm telling you, if we bought into that, we wouldn't adjust our lifestyle every time we get a raise. We would say, God blesses me with more in order that I might be a blessing to others and I might further the cause of the gospel. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 says this. Then he told them this story saying, the farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He's talked to himself. (laughs) That's always a dangerous thing. He said to himself, self, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for the harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Verse 20, just when God showed up and said, fool, Tonight you die, and your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. My challenge to you this morning is to do this. Lower your expectations of what you get out of this life and instead live for the next life. What a great thing to happen. For others of you here this morning, this needs to be the day that you drop your mask and you quit being a financial faker. You quit trying to give off the idea that you have something that you do not have. And you begin to live within your means. Today needs to be the day when you finally say, enough. I'm not going to do it anymore. I know I want this. I know other people that I know have this. I cannot afford it. We're in debt. We're in a place where this is not good. I I I don't want this anymore. I don't want this burden anymore. I don't want this to occupy me anymore. I want a fresh start. I no longer want to be a slave to debt and stuff. Remember, belief always precedes behavior. You've got to be convinced of the truth that we talked about in God's word this morning. You need to be convinced that your significance, your security, your happiness, your joy is in Christ alone and it's not in stuff. Let me give you real quickly just a few things you can do. Remember who owns it and who manages it. God owns it, you manage it. Number two, stay out of debt. You say, is there such thing as good debt? I really believe there is. There is some good debt to have. I believe it's probably almost impossible for any of us to ever own our home unless we have debt. But be careful that you aren't house poor. That you get a house and you're, you know, you're eating on a blanket in the dining room because you had to have a big dining room because you had to, you know, don't do that, right? Stay out of debt. If you can't afford the car, don't buy it. Drive the jalopy. You say, but then I'll have to pay a repair bill. A $200 repair bill is better than a three dollars or $400 commitment every single month that you can't afford. Number three, here's what you need to do. Declare enough. Enough. Today, it stops. For some of you, right as soon as you walk out of here, a little while from now, when it's time to go to lunch, it needs to start right there. And you need to say, you know what, kids? We can't afford to go out. We're going to go home. We're having baked beans and weenies. 
I don't know really what's wrong with baked beans and weenies because there's really nothing wrong with that if you like that. I mean, for some people, you would eat that if you had a lot of money, right? But for some of you, that's what you need to do because that'll cost you a couple of dollars instead of a $50 bill at Lost Trace. And by the way, when I say that, I say that with, with deep sorrow that you won't be going to Lost Trace. But some of you just need to say today, enough. Some of you, the point needs to be this morning that you need to plan ahead. You need to start saving. I can't tell you how many people that I talk to get diagnosed with some illness and go, wow, I, don't, I should have gotten insurance. If you're a dad here today and you haven't taken care of some of those things, you've not planned for the future of your wife or your kids somehow, shame on you. Can I say that to you? I think I can, I did. Shame on you. You need to plan ahead. Not hoard, but plan. Insurance. Thinking about a day when you might not be able to work. Thinking about replacing a car. Thinking about college. Thinking about long-term care if something happens to you. Unforeseen circumstances because those things will happen in your life. Number five, don't use stuff to keep score. That's a big one for some of you. If you just start, start saying, look, it isn't, about, it isn't about how much stuff I accumulate. That's not what the scoreboard's all about. Number six, for some of you, point of application, share. You need to share what you have. You need to be a little bit more generous. And number seven, live for the line and not the dot. Some of us are living just for this little dot that's on that line. It's called this life presently. And it's just a blip on a screen and then it goes away. We are going to live forever someplace if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to spend all of eternity in heaven. I would submit to you, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break through and steal. The next step for some of you, if you find yourself as a financial faker, I want to pray with you today. Now, I realize this will take a lot of guts for you to do it, but I want to pray with you. I want, I want you at the end of the service, I'm going to be right up here, and, and I want you to come down and just say, here's where I am, I'm faking. I got some issues and I want some help. I know in a crowd this size, there are some of you, that's where you live today. You can walk out of here with the mask on or you can come forward and say, hey, just being honest, help me, pray with me. Number two, how about signing up for our next Crown Ministries financial class, which starts next week at 1045. You can come to this service just like you did at 1045 after the service next week. You can get involved in that class. You can start learning how to handle your money in a biblically correct way. Get the right belief so that your behavior becomes what it should be. And I'm telling you, when you get these areas of your life under control, you won't recognize your life, especially if you've been out of control. There is going to be a freshness that's going to come into your life when you're no longer worrying about money and who's calling on the telephone and what bill am I going to find in the mailbox when I go to it. When you live within what God blesses you and entrusts you with, it is going to be such a freeing experience for you that it's going to be unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life, for some of you, or at least for a very, very long time. Cyprian in 248 AD, the bishop of Carthage said this, their possessions hold them in chains, change what shackle their courage and choke their faith and hamper their judgment and throttle their souls. 248 AD. They think of themselves as owners, whereas it is they rather who are owned, enslaved as they are to their property. They're not the master of their money, but it's slaves. I pray it wouldn't be true of us. We wouldn't be financial fakers that we would live within the means, within the resources that God entrusts to us, and then enjoy the freedom which we were created to be. People that propagate the true, pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for this opportunity to talk about something that you talked about a lot because it so influences and affects where we are, how we live our lives. Where our treasure is, that's where our hearts are. And God, we want our hearts to be in the right spot. God, I pray for people right now who are financial fakers, wherever they are in those three categories. I pray this morning that you would not give Satan a victory and allow them to walk out going, it'll be okay, I'll fix it, I'll, I'll do it somehow on my own. I pray that today there'd be enough humility for them just to simply walk down this aisle and say, hey, pray with me. One faker to another faker, just pray with me. I don't want to be fake in this area of my life. I want to enjoy freedom. God, give boldness to people to take those steps. And God, we look forward to seeing what you'll do when we're obedient in that area of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.